And this week in the second part of Conquering Canaan, I'm going to speak on men of another spirit, men of another spirit. I believe that the Lord is dealing with his end time remnant uh, to move that remnant into uh, a place and a position, if you like, in order that God would work through it in a mighty way just prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is looking for his people to move with him and align themselves to his purposes in these last days in which we're living in. And we want to hear what he's saying. We want to apply uh, the word of the Lord to our hearts. And we want then, in obedience to faith, to walk in what God has for his people, this end-time remnant. I believe in an end-time remnant. I believe we are part of that. We, we know the Lord has 7,000 and has not bowed in thee. Praise the Lord, there's a remnant all across this world, all across these nations that have not bowed the Baal and the worship of Baal, which is not an Old Testament practice in itself. It is very much uh, practiced today. It's all around us. If we just look at it, but we know that God has a people and God is looking for us to move into our spiritual Canaan, if you like, and to see uh, great things for the Lord in these last days. If God wants to move his people. We're looking at God's people in the Old Testament to bring us in uh, and to understand what God is required of us. But men of another spirit, if you turn back to Numbers chapter 13, uh, we'll know this account particularly well. In Numbers chapter 13 and verse 26, we know that God's people have been delivered from Egypt. They've been brought through the Red Sea. We looked at that Red Sea as a type likening to our born-again experience, being baptized in uh, to the body of Christ. And now they've come to the other side, and so God's purpose is to bring them out and to bring them in to his fullness in the Canaan. And so there are 12 spies that are sent out. And uh, here in verse 26, we uh, pick up the reading in Numbers chapter 13. And they went and they came to Moses and the Aaron, all the congregation of the children of Israel onto the wilderness Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land and they told him and said we came onto the land which thou hast sent us surely it flows with milk and honey and this is the fruit of it nevertheless the people be strong and that dwell in that land and the cities are walled are very great and moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once, and let us possess it, for we are well able to overcome. But the men that went up with him said, We, are, we be not able to to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. In other words, they were saying, look, in the natural, the odds are against us. We're not going to do well. In verse 32, it tells us that they brought up an evil report of the land. Now that word there, those words in the Hebrew, the evil report was they defamed, they defamed the promise that God had given them. It wasn't just that they were afraid of the giants, or the cities, or the Amorites, or the Jebusites, and so forth. 
It was that they actually defamed the promises of God. What God had promised them, a land that was flowing with milk and honey, where the soles of their feet would walk, that he would give them that land. They actually defamed the very promise of God, the word of the Lord. It wasn't just that the giants were big, or the walls were too high, or the Amorites were too strong. It simply was that what God had told them, the promise that God had given them, they brought a defamation upon that promise. And it says here, when we searched out the, onto the uh, verse, uh, sorry, verse 32, and they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched onto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search is it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants, and we in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And so this evil report is returned. There is 12 spies, uh, 10 were bad, 2 were good. Remember the children's chorus? And so they bring back these reports. Caleb and Joshua, Caleb stills the people. says, we're well able to go up, not in his own strength, not in his own ability. We know the account very well. We've heard it preached many times from this platform and so there are ten men that bring an evil report. They, 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 they don't believe it's possible. They, they simply cannot believe God. They cannot believe His promise. They see the natural impossibility of everything that's before them. And this is very important because as we were looking at the wilderness journey, it was the evil report that had a catastrophic effect upon the entire generation of that had come out of Egypt. There was a, it was catastrophic, the, the words that they brought at that time and how that spread into the hearts of the children of Israel and the, particularly the men of renown. We're going to come to that in a moment. It, it is actually so profound. I know sometimes we just read it and we, and we move forward, but this day was such a profound day in Israel. God had delivered them by His mighty hand. He had brought them out of Egypt They'd seen their enemy destroyed. The Red Sea was part. Every, the blessing of the Lord, the miracles in which the Lord had done for his people. And they come to this place where God had promised them to bring them into their inheritance. And as they're standing, there's these 12 spies. If you can just afresh grasp the magnitude of what took place. Caleb is encouraging Israel to say, we can move in. We can actually move with God. We can go in. We are actually able to do this, not because of who we are, but because of who our God is. Because he's saying, I believe the promises of God. I believe what God has said. That's what Caleb is saying. I believe in the power and the authority of his word that he has given us a promise that this is our land. We can go in and do this. It doesn't matter how great the giants are, how many walled cities there are, how many Amorites or Hittites there are. We are able to go in. Why? Because God said it. And so he's trying to encourage the people of God. Let's move into what God has for us. But there was ten there was ten that did not believe the promise of God. They seen the giants, their natural eyes seen the giants, they seen the walled cities, they seen the stronger armies, the Amorites, the Hittites, they seen all of that. And when they come back, yes, there was a land flowing with milk and honey. Yes, there was the fruit of that land. But when they looked at themselves, they said, we are not able to do this. 
And 10 men, if you think of this, out of perhaps up to 2 million people, 10 men had a profound influence over that entire congregation. Do you know your life has influence? Do you know your words have influence? Do you know what you say has influence on other people? Do you know if you speak faith and hope and joy and peace and encouragement into a life, that has a profound effect on someone. But do you know if you talk death and unbelief and discouragement and despair and gossip, all that into a life, do you know that has a profound effect as well? Do you know that? And God is saying, listen, still the people. Let them still themselves for a moment. Listen, and God, we are more than conquerors. We are able to go in and possess what God has for us as a people. We are able to enter into the fullness of the promises of God. We believe the Bible. We believe in the promises of God. We are well able to go in because we serve an almighty God. And the influence is so profound. Paul, the apostle, if you turn over in the 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul, the apostle, had a fear. It wasn't a fear as in a spirit of fear, but it was a concern, that type of a fear, for the church at Corinth. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you turn to verse 3. He writes these words and he says, But I fear, I have a fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. He's speaking of the devil. He's speaking how Satan like that snake came into that garden and he beguiled Eve at the beginning. He had a fear that after he had gone or his letter had been received that there was going to be something that would happen within the church just as subtle as the devil with Eve. That your minds would be corrupted. This is what he fears. That your minds would be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He, he, was, he was concerned for the church at Corinth. He says, for if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, listen to what Paul's saying, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, think about what Paul's writing, which ye have not received, or another gospel. Paul is concerned that what would happen when he was with them, when he encouraged them, when they were brought into the kingdom through the power of the cross, the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, they were born of the Spirit, they were filled with the Holy Ghost, that Christ was enough, he was sufficient for everything that they need, that there would be another gospel that would come, there would be a, another Jesus that would be preached, and there would be another Spirit that would come into the church of Jesus Christ. A spirit that you did not receive. A gospel that you have not grasped. But he says these words, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with it. What he's saying there is this. Like if, this, if these false teachers and prophets, if they come into the church and they begin to preach another Jesus, this is what Paul is so confident about. He says, but see the Jesus that they preach, if he's greater than the one that I've I've preached to you, then just accept him. But there's no one like the Jesus that I preached to you. 
There's no one like the Christ that set you free. There's no one like the Jesus that heals your body. There's no one like the Jesus that satisfies your soul. There's no one like the Jesus that brings peace to your troubled mind. There's no one like the Jesus that breaks every chain of sin and sets the prisoner free. There's no one like the Jesus that floods your heart with the joy of the Spirit of the Lord. There's no one like Jesus. But they'll come and they'll preach another Christ. They'll preach it in another spirit. And they'll deliver another gospel. There'll come a day when all you are hearing and all we hear today is just add Jesus to your life. That's all you need to do. But that's another gospel. When Christ comes, He is my life. He becomes your life. He is your everything. But there's another gospel. It's a good feeling in the emotions and the soulish aspect. But it's a good feeling. You can go along and feel good, but it leaves you empty. But when you encounter Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you can truly say, I've searched for the, in the broken cisterns and the waters fail, but all that fills my soul is Jesus. You see, we see another gospel. We see another Jesus, a Jesus of their own imagination. Another gospel and another spirit that has come. You see, what that produces, friends, is found in 2 Timothy 3 and 5. It produces a form of godliness, but it denies the power thereof. Paul says, from such we are to turn away. What happens is, we have a religious system. It comes in the form of many different forms or denominationalism, if you like. But it's another gospel. It's another Jesus. It's another spirit. It produces a form of godliness, but it denies the living reality of the power of Jesus Christ. Paul says we're to turn away from these things. Second Peter 2 and 1 we're warned of false prophets will be among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift, swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. In other words, there'll come a day, there'll come a time, that the way of truth will be evil spoken of even within the so-called church itself. They'll not accept that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. They'll not accept that Christ is your all in all. They'll not accept that we've got to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. They'll not accept that Christ is your all in all, that you can have some of this, some of that, and a little bit of this, and you can have Jesus too, and that will be all right. It's another gospel. It's another Jesus. It's a form of Hinduism. It's a form of Hinduism. The greatest struggle in India when we were there was simply that you must preach with a, with a country with millions of gods. You must preach that there's only one God, and there's only one mediator between God and man, and that man is Jesus Christ. Otherwise, they'll say, we'll take your God. But I want to tell you something. You might find that 
and think that that's the way over in darkest India. This is on the streets of this country. You can live your life whatever way you want. You can do whatever you please. You can add Jesus to your life. You can have the name of a Christian, but you can deny the power of a living reality with Christ. This has come. This is another gospel. This is another Jesus. And this is another spirit. The way of truth shall be evil spoken of. It will be mocked. They'll mock the old paths. They'll mock the old ways. They'll mock the things that our fathers and our forefathers have handed down to us. The old ways to live the life. The ways of holiness. The ways of walking with God. And living in Christ. And studying His Word. And being in prayer. And being in faith. These all things that are the basics that we're reared on. Being in fellowship. One with another, the uniqueness of the body of Christ. Are you glad to be a part of the body of Christ? Are you glad to have a door open that you can come in this morning and worship God together and the liberty that we have with brothers and sisters in Christ? Friends, it's such a privilege, it's a blessing. There'll come a day that there'll be evil spoken of. These old-fashioned ways, these old legalistic ideas. I want to tell your friends, they're not legalistic at all. Their life and their freedom and their victory. But there's another Jesus. There's another spirit. And there's another gospel. They will speak evil of the truth. So much so that Caleb experienced it in Joshua in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 10. It says that the congregation when they were trying to encourage them to go through with God, that the actual congregation rose up with stones and they were about to kill them only for a supernatural intervention of the glory of God. This faith that Caleb and Joshua displayed, I want to tell you something about it. It's very rare. It will be opposed. You want to move with God. You want to go through with God. I want to be very clear and honest with you, it will be opposed, it will be slandered, it will cause you to be hated, but I want to tell you something, you're blessed, you're blessed, when people say all manner of things about you for the sake of Christ, actually we're supposed to rejoice. God pronounced upon Israel and this is so important as they get through that whole wilderness journey, the effect of that evil report. We looked at it last week as they murmured and they complained and they always wanted to go back and they never wanted to go through. And they were against the leadership and they wanted to rebel and their hearts weren't right and there was unforgiveness and there was all that whole aspect of carnality. But God had simply pronounced this. It's one of the great miracles of the Old Testament it wasn't one that happened suddenly. It wasn't one that was with thunder and lightning. But it was a process of a miracle that God had that performed in the hearts of two million people over the space of 40 years. In Numbers chapter 32, if you turn over to it for a moment, we see the dealings of God and the work of God. The Lord pronounced in Numbers 32 and verse 11, Surely none of the men 
that came out of Egypt from twenty years old and up shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have, the Lord just simply said that they have not wholly followed me. There wasn't a full surrender to the purposes of God. He says, Save Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, and Joshua the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. They have said, I'm going to go through with God. That's what they said. I'm going to believe the Lord. And so it says here, the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. He made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all, here's the miracle, till all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord were consumed. The Bible tells us about these men. If you turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 2, I want to show you something about these men. You might think they were weak and frail men, but actually the Bible says these were men of renown. Deuteronomy chapter 2 and 14 says, In the space in which we came to Kadesh Barnea, until we were come over the brook, Zared, was thirty and eight years, until all the generation of the men of war were wasted out from among the host. I want you to stop for a moment. It's profound, really, if you think about it. These were actually the chief men amongst Israel. These were the men of great uh, nobility, great a title, if you like, great possession, men of war. And it took 38 years, 40 years, for the Lord to purge out that unbelief, that, that murmuring, that complaining, that pride, that rebellion, that carnality, that unbelief. Over a period of 40 years, these mighty men of war, these men of renown, God would purge out, he would purge out that unbelief until he brought forward a new generation that were going to simply believe God. They were going to enter into what God had for them. And so we come to this, as it were, this final moment in the final days in the wilderness that now God's performed an amazing miracle in the hearts of two million people. Isn't God amazing? You just think about it for a moment. I mean, I just, throughout the week, I've just thought, for over that whole period of time, God was working. It looked as though maybe nothing was happening. Here's two million people, and they're just going through this wilderness. Most of them are complaining, so many of them, but they were real notable individuals, but they were just given out, given off. They were tired. They were weary. They were, didn't like the food, didn't like the direction, didn't like the leadership, didn't like the way it was all going. Does that sound familiar anywhere? I don't know whether you've ever heard that. But these were actually notable men. These weren't just, you know, as someone would maybe say, these were just ordinary Joes. Actually, these were the men of war. These were the men that you would look to and say, hey, are we going to go and fight? Are we going through with God? Come on, you're a man of war. Where's the soldiers? Where's the men that know how to fight and God has taught their hands to war? That believe in a God that's able to do anything. Friends, if this pandemic has showed one thing, it has shown so much that everything of what the church in Ulster professes to be, it is not. We've had a name that we live. Tragically, not entirely, but tragically, we're dead. 
We've taken the titles, we've taken the positions, we've taken the honorary applause of men, and we've taken all the applause as renowned men of war, but when the battle came, but don't think for a moment God's not working. They came to a time when they had to move. They came to a time when God's sanctifying work had come to an end as it were at that time, but to move them forward into the purposes of God. I believe with everything in my bones and everything in my body, God is moving his people into a new day. Nothing has been in vain. Nothing has been wasted. Nothing of this journey, nothing of the journey of faith. You might have gone through a period of time where you could say, that's my wilderness. I want to tell you something. God's been working in your heart, working in your life, working in your your mind. God has been stirring. God has been eliminating. God has been purging. God has had the rebuke. God has had the chastise because he loves us. But God is moving you forward in him. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, we just read the words, verse 1. Then we turned. Then we turned. This was a, a key moment in the journey. This was the turning point, literally, in the journey of faith. Then we turned. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, I believe there's a time when God turns. I believe that The Bible teaches us and tells us that weeping may last for a night, but there's a turn. Joy comes in the morning. You understand? There's a time that, you know, that Jacob wrestled the whole night and said, I will not let you go till you bless me. But the blessing's coming. There's a wrestle sometimes. There's a a long, dark night of weeping. There's there's times of darkness, a valley. There's a, a lion's den, but praise the Lord, there's a turn. There's a turn that comes. And then we turned and we took our journey into the wilderness. I want you to stay with me by the way of the Red Sea as the Lord said unto me, we have compassed Mount Seir many days. And I explained to you last week that that wasn't just a few days. That was a type of the entire wilderness journey. And the Lord said, you've compassed this mountain long enough. I want you to turn northward. A turn in your life. There comes a point in your life, there's a turn. There's a point in your life, sinner friend, where there's a repentance, where there's, I've had enough of the life of sin. I've had enough of the life of rebellion. I've had enough of the life of doing it my way. But I'm going to turn. Repentance is such a sweet thing. The Bible tells us again, this is one of the things that is not in the modern church. It's another gospel. The Bible tells us it's the goodness of God that leads a man or a woman to repentance. Are you glad that his goodness brought you to repentance? And so he says, turn you northward. He made the choice, they made the choice, cooperating with the direction and the leadership of God. I'm not going around this mountain any longer. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not walking around this mountain. Has anyone ever been there? I'm actually going to turn. 
I know that there's a way out of this. The way out of this is Jesus. I know I don't have to live just going around this mountain, pressing through, trying my best, putting all my strength into it, getting nowhere, feeling the Lord, but I know that there's a victory for me and I'm going to turn, I'm going to turn to Jesus. There has to be a choice. You see, this morning I want you just to think for a moment. There's 12 spies, 2 and 10. I don't want you to say anything, but I just want to say, which category are you in? Which category are you in? Two that were going to believe God. Ten that said it's not possible. I mean, all of us obviously respond straight away and say, oh, we're, we're with Caleb and Joshua all the way. But does your conversation produce that? See, it's one thing to send it on a Sunday morning, but does your conversation produce that? Does your life produce that? That you're someone of faith. That you're someone of encouragement. That you're someone that's going to speak life. Let me tell you something, friend. More than ever, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith in the earth. I believe that's the faith of Caleb. The faith in Hebrews that we read. But get yourself around people of faith. The talk faith. That encourage you in the way of the Lord. They're excited about the things of God. That are saying, do all that's in your heart for the Lord's with you. Go for it. Because you have one life to live. Live it for Jesus, but go all out for God. Instead of sitting around and listening to all the nonsense that goes on in churches today, friends, I want to tell you, get around people that speak faith into you. God, by the process of elimination, have brought them to a place. And if you're really wanting to go all out for God, I want you to listen. Elijah and Elisha. Elisha wanted, what did he want? He wanted a double portion. What did he have to do? He had to burn the ply. Peter wanted to follow him wherever he would go. What did he have to do? He had to leave the nets and follow him. If we really want to go through with God, there has to be some things that we're going to leave. Now God, the Holy Spirit, will show you what you have to leave. But there is a price and there is a cost in going through with God. I know it's not popular, but it's the truth. If you want to go through with God, there has to be an exercise of faith in God and a stepping out into God. Not when all the things are right and in their place. Not when the bank account's full. Not when everything falls. But just a stepping out, out of a boat into the purposes of God. And a faith in God and God alone. There has to be a burning of a plow. A leaving of a net. There has to be a stepping out. Well, I'll step out, as someone once said. If the salary's right, you'll never step out. I'll step out if it's all a popular time to do it and everyone's for me. You never will. But if God has stirred your heart and is calling you and, and probing you and, and, and pleading with you to step out into his purposes, then there has to be a faith. And faith doesn't see with the natural. Faith simply sees him who is invisible. God had sworn and God had said, 
that I'll not bring in this congregation, all those at 20 and are up, the men of renown, who did not believe my word. I will not bring them into my promise, but I will create a new generation, a new lump, a new cart, a new wineskin, a new thing. It was a new day. Can I tell you something, brothers and sisters? I believe God is at his work. And he's about to do that. He's been doing it, but he's about to do it. In Numbers 14 and verse 24, he says these words. Remember the speech of Caleb, but now the Lord says of him in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, the fruit of that was that he has followed me. What does it say? What's that word? Would you say that word again? Fully. There was a full surrender. Listen carefully. This is so important. I honestly am convinced that the majority of the issues that we face in church life today, the majority of the problems that arise, is less, I want you to hear me, is less to do with the devil and more to do with unsurrendered hearts to Jesus. I am convinced, convinced, that that is the greatest difficulty in the church today. The old paths, the old preaching, the old ways that have been taught to us from no height and before that was that this life does no longer belong to me. I've been redeemed. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. And I have surrendered all <clears throat> to Jesus Christ. And He owns me. And my life is in His hands. And I go and do what He asked me to do. An unsurrendered heart. Caught between two opinions. Will I go all out for God? Or will I just try to Manage this myself. The hymn says, About all on the altar, gladly we lay. You see, to conquer Canaan before we get there, yes, we must conquer carnality. But we must also be men, and I mean that in the generic sense, men and women of another spirit. Something different about us. Our conversation is different. Our focus is different. We're different altogether to the world and to what we see in the most part in the church today. Here's where many are. <clears throat> I want you to listen. What happened this day on the verge of the wilderness and the verge of the Jordan was very powerful. I want you to hear that again. They were on the verge of the wilderness, but they were also on the verge of the Jordan. They were as close, I want you to hear, they were as close to victory as they were to defeat. <clears throat> I want to say that again. They were as close to victory as they, were to, as they were to defeat. In other words, they had been brought through so much, they got right on the edge of the wilderness. They turned north away from the mount that they'd been tired of and weary of. There was a process of sanctifying work of God in their life. God had done such an amazing thing in them and through them. He brought them right up onto the verge of Jordan, but just behind them 
was that wilderness. He brought them up by the way of the Red Sea, the Red Sea, and beyond that was Egypt. They were still so very close to going back. They were still so very close to even feeling the wind of the Red Sea, but as God was leading them up towards the verge of the River Jordan, they were so close to victory and going through with God, but yet they were so close to defeat and going back. And there's someone or someones in this house this morning, I believe this, that God has been so good to you. God has been so gracious to you. God has done so much in your life. God has brought you out of Egypt. He's brought you through. And he's brought you right up to the verge of Jordan, as it were. And he wants to bring you on with himself through the Jordan and into Canaan. But you're right on the verge. And you're close to victory. But defeat's right behind you. There's no turning back. There's no turning back. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, I want to show you something. If you turn there. These people are being encouraged. They're being strengthened. They're being warned. In the book of Deuteronomy, just before they enter in, God is speaking to them through His servant Moses. And he's encouraging them to go through with God. But here in Deuteronomy chapter 29, it says in verse 1, These are the words of the covenant which the Lord, excuse me, commanded Moses to, the, to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab beside the covenant which he had made with them in Horeb. And Moses called unto all Israel and said unto them, Ye have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt unto Pharaoh, <coughs> excuse me, and unto all the servants and unto all the land, the great temptations which thine eyes have seen, the signs and those great miracles. Hasn't the Lord been so good to us? Have you seen the things that the Lord has done for you? I mean, if we were to stop and have a testimony moment, it should fill this house with all the goodness of Jesus in. God saying, look at the great things that I've done for my people. Verse 4, then he says this, Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive. That's a spiritual understanding. Yet the Lord has not given you eyes to see and ears to hear until this day. God had eliminated that which was the old he had brought forth a new generation, and now he's saying to them, I am going to illuminate your spiritual understanding. I'm going to give you eyes that you're going to see, and I'm going to give you ears that you are going to hear, because you're going to enter into your Canaan and possess what I have for you. Up to this point, there was a supernatural intervention on this new generation was about to take place. The eyes of our understanding being illuminated by the power of the Holy Ghost. That we're not seeing through the natural realm. That we're not looking at this world just through the natural eyes. If you do, you'll live in fear. You'll be petrified. You'll not leave your house. You'll not go out the door. You'll be with everyone else. But friends, we have not received the spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. 
The men will embass the word of God and the promises of God. But friends, I'm here to elevate God's word. They brought defamation on the promises of God. And God was going to illuminate their understanding. He was going to open their eyes. He was going to open their ears that they would see. And he was about to change their heart because their heart needed changed in order that they would enter in to what God has for his people. Look at 1 Corinthians. Keep your finger there, but go over into 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13. We're going back to Deuteronomy in a moment. But 1 Corinthians 2 and 13, Paul writes and says, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with the spiritual. A spiritual man, it's only a spiritual man can compare the spiritual with the spiritual. A carnal man can't do that. God wanted to illuminate their understanding that they could understand the spiritual things. Oh, Tim, I'm not an educated man. Listen, neither am I, but it's by the illumination of the Holy Ghost. It's not by education, it's by revelation. Thank God if you're a smart individual, you have a degree and you have the ability. I'm not against that, but what I'm saying is you don't need that to have a revelation of spiritual things. Our eyes have been opened by the power of the Holy Ghost. Our ears have been unstopped. Our hearts are open that we can see beyond this world. He says, I want to illuminate your understanding. I want you to see the spiritual things. I want you to enter into all that I have for you. And the eye has not seen, nor the ear has heard what I have prepared for my people and the glory that's coming. And if that doesn't move you or excite you or fill your heart with joy. Friends, I used to get excited about a football match. I used to get excited about marching down roads, but I've been saved by the grace of God. I'll get excited about it. The spiritual things. Verse 14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, because they're foolishness unto him. Have you ever had a conversation with a man who's blind spiritually? You try to convey to him the things that God's done in your life, and he's looking at you as though you're from a different planet. You are. We're strangers and pilgrims. They don't understand what you're saying. They don't comprehend what's happened in your heart. They can't grasp that you've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his own dear son. They don't get it. But you do. Because the spiritual man understands these things because they're spiritually discerned. What has happened systematically in the church now for generations is that there has been another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit that has swept in. Now what it has produced, and I am going to only speak for our own nation here in Ulster, but what it has produced is a form of godliness that denies the power of a living God. And so people look at the church and see the death they see the division. They see the bickering. They see the fighting. And they don't see the living reality of Jesus. It's another gospel that's come. Oh, we might claim to be fundamentals. But friends, it's the living reality. It's the power of God. For 40 years, they went through the wilderness. 
Some sit in church buildings for 40 years and they have never heard. Their eyes have never been opened and they still don't understand the wonder of all of this. That there's a man called Jesus come into the world to die for a sinner like me. And he saved me on the 12th of September 1993. And I will forever praise him, but I still can't take it in. They have sat for a generation. They call it somehow the bastion or the last stand or the western Bible belt of Europe. If we're trusting in the arm of flesh in Ulster and the religious system that has been created, God help us. But if we're trusting in an almighty God that he's going to breathe life into these smoldering embers and a people are going to rise in the power of the Holy Ghost in these last days, then friends, let us go through Jordan and into Canaan. If you turn back to Deuteronomy 29, they never seen the blessing in all these years. Verse 5 says, I've led you 40 years in the wilderness. But they'd never seen it. They never grasped it. This is the generation that had to be purged, the men of renown. I've guided you. Look what he says. I love this. I know we've mentioned it many times, but I'm going to mention it again because it actually is truly amazing. Your clothes are not waxing old upon you. I mean, you think about it. For 40 years, the same jacket never got old. I mean, women, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> like, I've seen those wardrobes, well, our wardrobe, what that tell you? Can you imagine? But they didn't see that. They didn't even see the blessing of the Lord. For 40 years, they had the same jacket and it looked new every morning. They were walking through that wilderness and they didn't see the blessing of the Lord. Manna every day didn't see it. Their eyes were never opened. Their ears were never unstopped. Their spiritual understanding was never enlightened. They were tired of it. We're fed up with this. We're fed up with the same old stuff. Do we have to listen to this every week? Unfortunately, at the minute, yes. But this is the way it was. And the same old jacket. Look at this old jacket. I've had this for years now, but every morning it was new. Look what it says next. It's amazing that your shoe did not wax and old upon your feet. Isn't that Think about it, ladies. It's amazing. Your shoes never got old. Never in 40 years. Yesterday, I was sold a pair of shoes a year and a half ago. I was told there's a good shoe shop. And the guy says, I'll sit. There's a beautiful pair here. Got them in from Italy. I'm just a mug. You know, I just believe everything. <laughs> Got these all the way from Italy, 35 pounds. I said, that's a deal, I'll get them. But 35 pounds expensively. <laughs> and anyway, I got these pair of shoes, and I love these wee brown pair of shoes. And then the rain this week is heavy, and I'm walking along, and it's, you know, I felt a bit of a squish. And I thought these, I said to Nikki yesterday, we were out for a coffee, went up to Bomb Bridge, and I'm walking down, and I'm saying, these Italian shoes aren't the greatest. <laughs> It feels like I'm walking in water. And I had to go in and get a new wee pair of shoes and I put the Italian pair in the bin. Right there and then, just changed them in the shop. 40 years. 40 years. 40, think about it. This is true. This is not a fan. This is a truth. 
40 years, their shoes wax, they're not waxing old upon thy foot. Think about it. You think of the blessings of God in your life. Think about it. Brothers and sisters, think about it. Oh, come on, think about it for a moment. I, I know, I'm not talking about anything other than just think about the goodness of Jesus. Think about God's goodness in your life. Think about where you should be today if it wasn't for the goodness of the Lord. Think about the hell that you'd be in. But think about the blessing of the Lord. Think about it, friends. Think about the blessing of God. In you. Do you see it? The modern age is going to be like the Laodicean church. That's what we're warned of. That last church has got everything, but, but it doesn't realize what it is. It's poor and it's wretched and it's blind and it's naked. But they seem to have everything. They're spoiled. But they always want more. They're never content with Jesus and all that he's done. And the blessing of the Lord. We wouldn't be here today if it wasn't God's blessing. We wouldn't be alive today. We'd be in hell. But we can't see. And the murmuring and the complaining and all the grumblings and everything that goes on. And yet God's saying, I blessed you. Your clothes have never... That righteous garment that I've given you has never got old. Those shoes that I've given you, the gospel of peace, they're new every day. They'll never get old. This gospel's forever new. This righteousness that I've given you, I give you it fresh every morning. You're in my robe of righteousness. And what do we do? We make it a religious thing. We make it something entirely different. We cannot see. Then God begins to bless them. Again, a fresh victory. In verse 7 it says, When you came into this place, Sihon the king of Heshbon and Og the king of Bashan came out against on the battle and we smote them. So God's reminding them of their mercies and the blessings a long time ago, but then he gives them a fresh victory just before they're about to go through the Jordan. Why? He wants to encourage us. God wants to give his people a fresh victory. I know we've got the victory all the time. I'm talking about individually in our lives. We in our house had a fresh victory this week. We had a fresh victory. It was like something lifted off our shoulders that had been hanging on us for two years. And it was just like in a moment, we just lifted up our hands and said, thank you, Jesus. He gave us a taste of victory. But friends, there's even greater victories to come. That's what he's saying. I want to give you a taste of victory. Why? Because he's saying, I don't want you. You're on the verge here. I don't want you to fall back into the wilderness. I don't want you to go around this mountain anymore. I don't want you to go back into Egypt. You're on the verge of the Jordan. I want you to go through. But I'll give you a taster of the victory. And see when you taste the victory, it's so sweet. You know what it causes in you? You say, oh Lord, I want more. I want more. And so he says to them in verse 9, Keep therefore the words of this covenant, do them, and you'll prosper. Verse 10, Ye stand this day, all of you, before the Lord your God, your captains of your tribes, your elders, your officers, with all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, thy stranger that is in thy camp, and the hewer of thy wood, and the drawer of thy water, that thou shouldest enter into the covenant, enter into the covenant with the Lord thy God, and into his oath, 
which the Lord thy God maketh with thee this day. You know, I just think for a moment, as they're standing and the covenant is, re is renewed with them for them to do it, to remember it, to keep it, and then he says, I want you to enter into it. I'm thinking of the words all those years ago, Caleb saying, let us go up at once, 40 years later. Let us go. We are able to possess it. For we are able to overcome. The amazing thing is that the spirit that Caleb and Joshua possessed, this is amazing. It's what God can do was the same spirit now that was upon all of them. Because it could not have been on some of them. It had to be on all of them for all of them to cross over. So here we see the effect of 10, 40 years ago. But thank God here we see the effect of 2, 40 years later. What they were, they all became. They all had the faith. They all possessed another spirit. Caleb said, I'm closing Numbers 14. He says these words. Numbers 14 and verse 6. Joshua the son of Nun, Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were with them that searched out the land, rent their clothes, you remember, they pleaded with them, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us. Land that is flowing with milk and honey. He pleaded, he pleaded, Please don't rebel against the Lord. Don't fear the people of the land. Do you know what he said? They're bread for us. Their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. Forty years later, a whole generation are on the verge of that Jordan. And I believe they had to deal with their flesh. I believe that they had to possess a faith, another spirit, that they were going to wholly follow the Lord. I believe significantly, and we'll look at it next week, there had to be the sanctifying work of the Holy Ghost in every life, and there had to be a going through the Jordan. And I do believe that that Jordan, if the Red Sea is a type of our new birth, I believe that that Jordan is the baptism in the Holy Ghost. You see, if we are going to go in to Canaan's land and those Jerichos are going to come down, we're going to have to be filled with the Holy Ghost. We're going to have to be filled with the Holy Ghost. It is a must for what we are going to face. It is a must. And I encourage you throughout this week, to spend that time before the Lord, privately, personally,
on your knees in the closet seeking the Lord to be filled. Make it your business to spend time with the Lord to be filled with the Holy Ghost, to enter into what God has for us. Do you know, I'll say this as a close. I, I really believe this. I, I do believe God is about to move. I really have a sense that there's, out of all of this, this word's going to get worse. It's going to wax worse. Just know that. It's, it's turmoil after turmoil, conflict after conflict, plague after... What's next? Who knows? But the Lord has warned us of the days that would come. You know, I was sharing the other night there, the plague of mice. Have you seen the plague of mice sweeping across Australia? Plague of mice. You ever heard the leg of it? All outbreaks, all different types of plagues and everything. I know, thinking about the mice. I said, Lord, help us. But there's a plague of mice and there's believers there too. So, oh boy, it could be a lonely walk. <laughs> Nicky doesn't like mice. So, I'll tell you, it could be just tins of beans and toast lads for about six months. But listen... God desires to move in such a mighty way for the saving of precious souls. And I know that this church is being stirred, mobilized, equipped, sent, and are hungry and want to go and are going. And it's going to be much further than what any of us believe. We will not do this without the power of the Holy Ghost. We will be very tired very soon. God wants to fill us with the power of His Spirit. But a year and a half ago, I've only shared it with four or five people, but a year and a half ago, I had a very clear, vivid dream. I'm not given the dreams in the sense of, and that's just, but I had a very clear dream. God spoke very clearly that we were to return, just brought the freshness of how Teen Challenge was born. He says, remember my servant David Wilkerson. Remember the birth. Remember what he went in to a drug-ridden city with. Nothing but the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost. He gave me the date when it started. I didn't know that. The next day, the next morning, I was sharing it with Nicky. The next morning, my mum gave me a picture of me. You know, they find these weird pictures off you and say, look at that. But on the back of it was written in pencil the very date that was spoken in the dream. I waited, a couple of months later, Brent walked in and said, God stir my heart to hit this city. And all I know is this, that as we go, because it's a church that goes, but as we go, we need what that team challenge was birthed with, what it was at the beginning. We, thank God, we know we have the gospel, but we need the power of the Holy Ghost.
Nothing is going to free the people that we are asking to be prayed for. Because what we'll become is a hospital with no cure. That's what we'll become. That's what most of it is. But I know God's saying, we got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And then though we'll be, we'll be a hospital that has a cure. You know who the cure is? The cure is Jesus. And what we have is what we'll give them. And that is this gospel. But it's the power of the Holy Ghost. Could you seek the Lord this week in your own time to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Do you know people have got filled standing at their sinks? People have got filled at their bedside. You can get filled in church. You can get filled anywhere. But I just encourage you this week, I believe this for this Canaan that God has for us as a people. I want to encourage you. And if you've been filled before, seek to be refilled. We need to seek to be filled with the Holy Ghost. This is essential for this gospel. This is not a Pentecostal thing. Trust me, it's not. This is a Bible thing. This is what God has for us for to preach the gospel. Take the time. Seek the Lord. We're about to cross over. I believe that. We're about to cross and God has been so good to us. But we must be filled. God's going to do a new thing. I don't know about you, but I'm very excited about it. Sorry, I know we get ex- I've seen you get excited about so many other things. Let's get excited about Jesus, by the way. You know, that's, that's a good thing, you know. We get excited about everything out there, and then people come in the church and sit like a Burton's dummy. I don't get that. I just go, my God, look what God has done in our lives. And then we say, well, come to church, by the way, you're not allowed to move. What? I mean, when we get to heaven, when we all get to heaven, what do you think it's going to be? Oh, man, when, that, when those fields are lifted and suddenly we see this lost and wandering and worship. We'll be singing and rejoicing forever and all what he's done for us. I'm excited about heaven. Are you excited about heaven? Anyone else excited about heaven? Would you say amen? Somebody shout hallelujah. You're not going to sound like that in here. You need to get excited about the things of God. God's been good soon. God's been faithful soon. God will never leave you, forsake you. God's with you. God will be with you, Gwen. God has been faithful to you and Tommy. God will bring us through. He's not going to abandon us as we get to the end. I'm talking about life, talking about the end of the world. He says, I'll be with you even to the very end. God's been so good to us, actually. God's been so blessed in every way. God's blessed us as a people. And God is blessed, not just here, He's blessed as people. God's been good to us. God is so mightily blessed us. Marguerite, God's with you. God is with you. He hasn't abandoned us. The devil talks lies and says, He hasn't abandoned us. This is not the end. This is not over. God is going to do mighty things. And there's a regeneration running around. This church is coming up behind us. And I'm excited about them. I'm excited about them. And everything I want to do was meant for evil. I believe that God turns it for us. So some are on the verge. 
You're as close to victory as you are to defeat. As close to victory as you are to defeat. Where you go all the way to Jesus. I'm going through. I'm going on. God's good. Father, this morning we thank you, we praise you. For all that you've done in each and every one of our lives, Lord, you've been so good. Lord, this morning we pray, Lord, as our our Canaan's and Canaan is before us, Lord, we realize, Lord, we need a fresh, sanctifying work of the Holy Ghost. And we realize, Lord, that we must be filled afresh with your spirit. Lord, there's some in this meeting this morning. Lord, you've been so good, so merciful to them. You've brought them so far. Lord, you want to bring them all the way. You want to bring them through into everything that you have for them. Lord, as it were, they stand on the verge with the wilderness behind them. But everything of your purpose ahead of them, Lord, I pray you give them great grace to go through with God. Lord, I pray that you would, there be a settling of their heart, there be a surrender of their heart. Lord, today, Lord, they would kneel as it were their colors to the mask, Lord, they would go through with Jesus. Oh God, if there's some in this room that do not know you as Lord and Savior, we pray in the name of Jesus there be a great turn, a great repentance. Lord, you visit us with thy great salvation today. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name.